Um, all right. I want to thank you all for coming out to hear the word this morning. And I'm going to get right into it. This is part two of a two-part special episode um, of questions and answers. All right. Um, the last question that we left off on um, in part one was... Why doesn't God show signs and miracles in the world to prove to those who do not believe in him that he is real? All right. And I had read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 7 in Hebrews 11 chapter 1. Um, basically, I said how God does not have to prove himself and he's not going to prove himself to anyone in this world. That is not what makes us believe. All right. We walk by faith, not by sight. All right. Still, one of the verses that I also want to read is taken from Matthew chapter 24. Verse 24, all right? For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So you see, we know that God will not perform signs. He's not going to prove himself to anybody. He's not going to. All right. We know that. I just said that. All right. And this is why I say how important it is to read the word. Because there are false Christs and false prophets out there. And they will perform signs and wonders. They will say that, you know, yes, we're coming in the name of Jesus. Yes, we're coming in the name of the Lord. All right. And Christ Jesus has given me the power to do this. And he has given me this power. And the reason why he's given me this power is because I believe, I believe. And maybe, and if you believe hard enough, Christ Jesus will give you this power too. So, False Christ and false prophets will perform signs and wonders to lead others astray. And if possible, Christians. That's why it's important that we know the Bible. So you see, the only one, the only ones who are going to show, who are going to show or try to deceive or deceive others with signs and wonders and miracles are false prophets and false Christs and false teachers and false pastors. And we see it today. We see it today. All right. We can even name some people. 
All right. I don't want to get into that. Okay. Um, because that's not my place to name people. But I guess you could let that be kind of a warning if you want it to be. That if you do see somebody performing signs or performing miracles in the name of the Lord. And I say that in air quotations because they're not really coming in the name of the Lord. And they say that if you see this or if you if you, um, you know, see these signs that I'm doing. And if you believe these signs that I'm doing are in the name of Jesus. And if you have faith. Then you will be saved. No, that's a warning right there, because only false Christ and only false prophets are known for performing these signs and wonders. Christ is not going to prove himself to anyone. Okay. If a person does not want to believe in God. Okay. I'm sorry to say, but that is their problem. I don't mean to sound cold or anything, but that is their problem. And unless they truly, truly receive salvation. That will be their problem. Okay. That is not how we receive salvation. Now moving on to the next question. What is Paul referring to as the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? In Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 through 14. What is Paul referring to as the upward call of God in Christ Jesus in Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 through 14? What is the upward call? You know, when I read the Bible, there are just certain verses that stand out to me. And one of those set of verses is Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 through 14 all right I think that that's a very beautiful set of scriptures and I always thought that I've thought that for so long however eventually <laughs> I had to ask myself Wait, what is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? What prize? And I actually had to look that verse up and try to gain an understanding of that verse. All right. Um, that was a long time ago, by the way. Um, but let me read. Let me read verse 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. 
I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I can talk about a long time on those two verses. And to be honest, I want to. <laughs> All right. I want to. But really, um, I have to answer this question. Okay. The question is, what is the upward call? So, referring to verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Well, Paul is referring to his prize, okay? His personal prize. He's not, when he says, I press on toward the goal, he's not referring to um, Christians in general. He's specifically referring to himself, okay? What Paul is referring to as the upward call of God in Christ Jesus is that God has a plan, all right? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that being a plan. God has a plan for each of us, okay? And at the end of each plan, there is a prize. Each prize is different, all right? What that prize is exactly, I don't know. I can't say, all right? But the upward call that God is referring to is a plan that God has for each of us. Each one of us who who are Christians has our own separate upward call. I have my own upward call of God in Christ Jesus. My wife has her own upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um, my mother, she has her own upward call in Christ Jesus. Um, those at my church, all right, um, they have their own upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm even going to go as far as to say my ex-wife, who is a Christian, has her own upward call of God in Christ Jesus. They each have their own plan. God has a plan for each of them. All right. Now, I would love to talk about both 13, both verses 13 and 14. Okay. But instead, I'm just going to tell you, you know, please study um, Philippians chapter three, or at least please Reflect on it for a while, even if it's not that hard to study for some. At least reflect on it for a while, okay? Because it is very moving. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Um, moving on to the next question. <laughs> this one says... 
2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 8 along with other verses in the Bible says that we will receive a crown when we get to heaven. If Jesus is the ruler and the king of heaven, then why will we receive crowns in heaven? All right, um, I'm going to read 2 Timothy um, chapter 4. Um, verses 8, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, the person who wrote this question is correct. There are more verses that mention um, that mention about crowns and how we will receive a crown. Okay. However, in those verses that refer to us receiving a crown, each crown will be different. All right. And I don't want to talk too much about that today on what each crown is because I don't think that I will have enough time for that today all right um but there are other verses that mentions other different types of crowns and how we will receive um different types of crowns okay and I'll get to that in a second because the question also says that if Jesus is the ruler and the king of heaven, then why will we receive crowns in heaven? And that's actually a good question. All right. That's a good point. All right. Because. For every country. For every monarchy, for every kingdom, there can only be one ruler, there can only be one king. There can only be one person who wears the crown, okay? There cannot be two people who wear the crown, okay? There cannot be two head coaches on a football field. There's only one head coach. There are assistant coaches, but in the end, there's only one head coach. All right? There's one ruler of a kingdom there is one person who wears the crown of a king of a king that rules the kingdom so yet why does the bible say that we will receive crowns when we get to heaven well as i said there are different heavenly crowns and the bible refers to each one of those crowns, meaning that it explains each one of those crowns. It elaborates on each one of those crowns that we will receive. Now, um, it's said, and it is believed that there are five different crowns when we um, get to heaven. All right. Um, the Bible does say how. We will all 
when we get to heaven, we will receive different rewards. All right. When we get to heaven. Okay. So. Um, to put it simple. Um, I would imagine that when we get. When we get to heaven, we will receive different rewards, um, some more than others, okay? And basically, to, um, to give you an example, okay, um, let me give you an example. Let's say there are two Christians on this earth, okay? You have one Christian who really lives for Christ. Um, they live for the Lord. They are steadfast to the Lord. They devote, they are, devote their lives to the Lord. They are disciples of Christ Jesus. Um, and in the end, they die for Christ Jesus. Okay. And then you have this other Christian. Yes, he receives salvation. You know, but he believes in God, yeah, you know, but he doesn't always live the way how he should live, okay? It's like, <laughs> it's like when you move on to the next grade, all right? Yeah, you get C's and D's, but you barely pass in order to make it to the next grade, Okay? That's like that Christian, okay? He barely makes it. All right, he he live he live he lives um doesn't exactly live the way how he should live, okay? But because he has salvation, he makes it into heaven, okay? Now, when both of these Christians get to heaven. All right, you have the one Christian who is a true disciple of Christ Jesus. When he gets to heaven, he will receive more rewards as opposed to the Christian who um, didn't really live for Christ Jesus the way how he should have. Okay. So, yes, we will receive different crowns, but um, it's strongly believed that those aren't literal crowns, as in, like, those aren't the same type of crowns that Christ Jesus, our King, is wearing in heaven. These crowns, they're more like rewards, okay? And when we get to heaven, some Christians will receive more um, rewards than others. Okay. And I hope that I answered that question correctly. And if you still don't understand that question, first of all, um, you know, 
read about it in your work in the word all right ask god for revelation all right and if you still need help um you know there there are books there is the internet all right but always ask the lord to give you a revelation and what and what it means all right <clears throat> Um, <laughs> I'm reading this question and this is actually a funny question. You know, it's something that I, it's something that I noticed too. And, um, I always kind of wondered the same, um, question, you know, I don't know if it was just me, but I've always wondered this same question, um, it's kind of silly, or at least to me anyway, um, you know, forgive me, um, because maybe some people do take this question seriously, you know, um, I don't mean to say that this is a silly question, forgive me, um, but this next question says, in the Bible, Paul makes more than a few sports references. For instance, Galatians chapter 2, verses 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 8, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 12, uh, and 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7. Why does he make so much references to sports um to be quite honestly there is no um real answer to that there is no definite answer to that um nobody um nobody really ever i guess bothered to answer that question and I don't have a definite answer for that. The Bible doesn't have a definite answer for that. But I did always used to wonder that same thing, you know, especially me being a person um, who uh, likes sports. So it's like, this is what, this is my personal theory. Um, you have to understand the place that... Um, Paul was preaching, all right, um, and the time that he was preaching, um, from, from Galatia, which is now present-day Turkey, all the way to um, Rome in Italy with um, Greek in the middle, um, Corinth in the middle, Ephesus, um, Crete, Thessaloniki, and all of these Greek places, okay? And at the time, sports and competition and all of and all of that was was very big. Um, you know, you had the Olympics going on, and sports and competition was a big part of their culture, 
All right, it was. It was a big part of their culture. Um, again, the Olympics were huge in Greece. All right, remember that's that's where they were um, first invented. Okay, and and all of these people that Paul was writing to, all right, all of these places that Paul was writing to, Galatia, Philippi, um, Corinth, um, and Timothy, who was preaching in Ephesus, all right. All of these places had a big sports culture. So I would imagine that Paul, um, maybe he's trying to relate to these people. So he's making sports references. Again, there is no definite answer. This is my personal theory. Okay. Or maybe during his time in that area, Maybe, maybe even Paul um, developed an appreciation for sports. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I've never really been asked this question before, or I've never really heard this question before. I always thought that you know this was something that only I thought of. But to be honest, I'm glad that somebody asked this question because it makes me feel good that it's not just me. Okay, um, so I hope that answers your question, okay? Um, that's my theory on why Paul makes so many sports references, okay? Um, is because that is because of the location that he was in, all right? Competition in sports was a big part of their culture, okay? Um... <laughs> All right, next question. In the Bible after Malachi comes the beginning of the New Testament with Matthew. What happens between Malachi and Matthew? The Old Testament and the New Testament. Um Again, it's widely believed and this is what I was taught And um, when I say it's widely believed, I mean by um, reputable scholars and theologians and, um, you know, reputable pastors. Okay. It is widely believed that um, between Malachi and Matthew, you know, that little intermission between um that little intermission between the Old Testament and New Testament, there is a 400-year intermission, a 400-year gap, all right? What we as Christians um, know it to be as the 400 years of silence. And what that is, what that means, the reason why they call it that is because that is when God has stopped talking to Israel, all right? Now, don't misunderstand. He didn't leave Israel. Um, he did not forsake Israel, all right? He did not abandon Israel, no, all right? Israel 
um, will always be um, the Holy Land. It will always be um, God's people, okay? But for 400 years, God stopped talking to the Israelites. And that's what was going on between um, Malachi and Matthew. I mean, now, now I, excuse me. Um, now you have to imagine how different that must have been. How how strange that must have been during those four hundred years of silence. Because throughout all the Old Testament. We hear of how God talks to people, like literally talks to people, as in his voice comes down from heaven and he talks to people. God spoke to Abraham, God spoke to um, Samuel. God spoke to the mother of Samson. God spoke to Adam in the beginning. God spoke to Elijah. He spoke to Moses, to Noah. He spoke to so many people throughout the Old Testament. He spoke to Jeremiah. He spoke um, to... To Daniel, spoke to all these people throughout the Old Testament. And then after Malachi, after the book of Malachi, God just stopped talking to Israel. Okay. You know, we, we often complain about uh, this generation, the newer generation. And how, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, it's a godless generation or whatever like that. You look back to how it must have been after the book of Malachi for the next 400 years, okay? Uh, imagine, imagine the first, when the, fir when the 400 years first started, all right? You have... The children, that generation growing up when the 400 years first started, you know. Yes, they were raised to believe in God. Okay, and yes, they were um, taught how they were, how, how they were supposed to be taught. All right. However... You know, as they ended up having kids, you know, um, you know, yeah, they still were taught about God. Um, they were still raised right, you know, and then they ended up having kids. And then, you know, yeah, they were taught about God. But by now, you know, as time had passed, you know, to this genera to that generation, you know, God, he, he was like more of a story, you know, something to make people feel good. And now, you know, they were just more leaning on tradition 
or whatever. And as generations pass and as generations pass and as generations pass, you know, you talk about how the new generations are today. Over time, over a 400-year period, all right, all these generations that passed where God just stops talking to Israel, you can imagine how, um, the only word I know how to use is, you can imagine how liberal, all right, these, um, these, those generations became, all right? And after a while, I can imagine, you know, the the um the children even be, being raised with tradition even their traditions became lost all right uh i hope you understand what i'm saying all right and then in the new testament when jesus came on the scene well first when john the baptist came on the scene cuz john the baptist came before jesus all right, you had all these wicked people. All right, you notice that a lot of these people, they didn't believe in God the way how a lot of the people in the Old Testament did. Rather, I should say, they didn't have a lot of um, righteous people the way how the Old Testament had righteous people. Okay. And I can imagine that these people were um, generations um, that came from a genealogy that lived through those 400 years who eventually strayed away from God, all right? And a lot of these people, they were never taught about God growing up. All right. But I don't want to make it seem too confusing. So I'm going to move on to the next question. This one says, I know that Christ died for everyone's sins. But does that mean that he is willing to forgive even the wickedest person? Yes. Yes, God is willing to forgive even the wickedest person. As you said, as this person said, Christ died for everyone's sins. Everyone's sins. My sins, um, the my next door neighbor's sins, the person who is who is writing who wrote this letter or the person who rather I should say who asked this question sins. All right, he died for everyone. Okay, and he is willing to forgive even the wickedest person. He died so that everyone may have the opportunity to go to heaven. And I want to read from the book of John, chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, and from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through 11. All right. John chapter 3 verses 16 through 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him 
should not perish but have eternal life. Notice that I said whosoever. Doesn't matter who. Doesn't matter what they've done. Doesn't matter how wicked they are. All right. Doesn't matter if they had committed murder or or if they or if or if they lived a good righteous life. Everyone in this world has sinned and the only way to get to heaven is to call on Jesus and to repent of your sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be see, do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. So right now we're learning that, yes, OK. All these people who are who, who, who do all of these wicked things, all of these people who are sinners, no matter what sin they commit. All right. All of these people, if they remain sinners, then. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you have to remember that you were once a sinner, too. You were once one of those people, too. All right. You were once one of the unrighteous. You were once one of the sexually immoral. You were once one of the idolaters. You were once one of the adulterers. You were once one of those who practiced homosexualities. You were once a thief. You were once greedy. You were once a drunkard. You were once a reviler. All right. You were once a swindler. All right. So you have to remember that. But you were washed and sanctified and were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of God. It does not matter what you do. If you ask for forgiveness, if you receive salvation. All right. If you are sanctified in Christ Jesus, if you are washed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. All right. Then you will have his forgiveness and you will have his salvation. You know, this reminds me of someone that um, I once I once knew. And I say I once knew him because I haven't seen him in so long. I, I probably haven't seen him in. Man, in about 15 years. Um, I remember this old church I used to go to. 
Uh, it was in North Miami Beach. Uh, it's called North Miami Beach North Miami Beach Baptist Church. Um, I used to like going to that church, and every once in a while, I would go to the Friday night youth group. And there was this one person there. You know, we got along great. Um, I remember his name too. His name was Henry. Okay. He he was he was a real funny guy, you know. He loved to make people laugh and he did make people laugh too. All right. He he really knew how to make you bust out laughing. You know, you he, he was a real clown. But there was no doubt in my mind that he was a Christian. I mean, when this guy came to church, he came to church to praise the Lord. He came to church to worship the Lord. He came to church to pray. All right. Now, I don't know for a fact, but there is not a doubt in my mind that he was a Christian. I truly believe that he was sincere because he had a sincere attitude about him. So one day, one day at the youth group, we were talking. All right. I don't exactly know how the question came up, but I was talking to him about something and I saw on his upper forearm he had a tattoo. And he had a tattoo of a pit bull. All right. And this is relevant to what I'm saying. And I once asked him about it. You know, I don't exactly remember how I asked him about it. But basically, I said, you know, what's that? You know, I mean, I knew what it was, but, you know, I said, what's that mean? Because, you know, that's the first time I saw it. And I see this guy, he just doesn't look like, you know, the guy who would have tattoos. You know, he, he looked very soft. You know, at the time, he was probably like 17. Maybe, maybe 19. But he said, oh, that was from when I used to be with Zopound. Now, for those who do not know, um... What Zopound is back in the 90s and the early 2000s, um, it was a big Miami gang, it was a big gang in Miami, and it was a Haitian gang, all right. And you talk about wicked guys, these were bad guys, all right. They were known for, um, Killing and selling drugs. All right. And they were heavily, heavily into voodoo. All right. Um, and this is not, you know, just some gang that you just join because you want to join them. 
you know it's it's not it's not some gang that you know you that you just say hey you know i i want to be want to be in this gang you know doesn't take much no you you really have to have to do you know certain things to get into this game so I see this guy Henry and I asked him about his tattoo he said oh that's when that's when I was in Zopan that's that's before I received salvation And this was a guy that when I knew him, he loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. He was a true Christian, a true Christian believer. And yet the things that he must have done in his past when he was a teenager, mind you, were were just horrible. I can imagine that. So to answer this question, is God willing to forgive? Is Christ willing to forgive even the wickedest person? Absolutely. Absolutely. He had forgiven me of my sins. There are people, there are testimonies that I hear about how people have came to Christ when they came from a wicked lifestyle. So absolutely, and to be honest, Christ loves it particularly when people are willing to give up that lifestyle, whatever lifestyle that they're living, to come to him. Because he knows that it's not hard giving up certain lifestyles. It's, I mean, it's not easy giving up certain lifestyles, rather. So to give up certain lifestyles to come to Christ Jesus... You know, when you have somebody that's very wicked, extremely wicked, and they give up that wickedness for Christ Jesus, God takes a particular notice in that. All right. Now, I'm going to um, move on to my next question. This is actually... Um, this is actually the last question. All right. Why do you continue to serve the Lord despite how hard it is? Why do you continue to serve the Lord despite how hard it is? You know, I often hear this question asked a lot. And 
believe it or not, this is actually a question that I embrace. Meaning that I take honor in being asked this question because it makes it seem as though this person is calling me strong. He's calling, he, he is, or this person is giving me respect in the fact that I'm remaining steadfast to the Lord. Why do you continue to serve the Lord despite how hard it is? Galatians chapter 6 verses 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It is hard serving the Lord. It is very hard to serve the Lord. It is. I mean, it's hard to talk to other people about the gospel. You know, even a lot of times when Christians talk to other Christians, it might be hard because you might clash on your own personal ideologies or you might disagree or have different opinions in what the Bible means in certain verses. And it may be hard to even talk to other Christians, you know. Very few, and also, you know, very few people, they have an, they appreciate you. A lot of people, they make fun of you for worshiping somebody who you can't see. People may call you stuck up. They think you, they think you're better um, than them. People may say that you sold out. And I put that term in air quotes because I think that it's one of the most silliest terms in the world. Oh, he's sold out. You know, he doesn't live like how he used to live. He changed. And overall, it seems like it's a big load placed on your shoulders. You know, and for those who's listening by now they might they might say, you know, well, well gee whiz, you know, you're not making it sound too fun at all. <laughs> you know, and it can take a toll out on you and it can be very tedious. And yes, it is a struggle, but you know what? It's the most beautiful struggle there is. It's the most beautiful struggle there is because I know that Christ Jesus is right next to me because I also know that as a person, as a human being, there is going to be times when I stumble. But because Christ Jesus is right next to me, he's going to be there to catch me from falling flat on my face. Whereas other people who don't have Christ Jesus as their savior, when they mess up in life, as they often do, when they stumble, they don't have anybody to catch them. And a lot of times they do fall flat on their face. 
And it's extremely harder for them to pick themselves back up. So I take pleasure in knowing that Christ Jesus is always going to be right next to me to keep me from falling. All right. And I know that my time on this earth is is nothing compared to my time that I will spend in heaven. All right. I can give you an analogy. You go to the beach. All right. You pick up a pinch of sand, all right? Put it in your palm, put it in the palm of your hand. Now you count each grain of that sand, all right? You might get to 20 before Before your palm no longer has any sand in it. Alright. There's only 20 grains of sand in the palm of your hand. Now you compare that. To all the sand. That stretches along the shore. Of this entire country. Of this entire continent. And all that sand that leads into the ocean. The entire ocean. That connects all along the world, all over the world, okay? All of the rest of those grains of sand, that's going to be my time in heaven. Compare all of that sand to the 20 grains of sand that you counted. That 20 grains of sand, that's going to be my time on earth. The rest of those grains of sand, that infinite number of sand that's going to be my time in heaven all right so i will continue to serve the lord because i know that even though it's a beautiful struggle this struggle it's not going to last forever it won't and i know that i will receive my reward when I get to heaven. I will receive my crown. When I get to heaven. Alright. And it is our responsibility. As Christians. To spread the gospel. To make sure that the gospel is spread. Is being spread. Now. I want to. Thank. All of these people for asking me these questions. All right. Because a lot of times when these people ask me these questions, I don't really have the answer to these questions on the spot. But I remember these questions and it gives me time to look up the answers. All right. And I did learn a lot from these questions. All right. And it's also... Good to include other people in this podcast. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. All right. And interesting. But I'm going to close right there. 
and I'm going to close with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, O Lord God. I thank you for the reading of your word, Heavenly Father. And Lord God, I pray that you continue to give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in the reading of your word, O Lord God. Lord God, and I pray, Lord, that as we grow, we grow in our Christian faith, O Lord God, and we grow in wisdom, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And Lord God, just continue to give us the passion and the desire and the will and the want to to continue to study your word, O Lord God. I thank you for your many blessings, Heavenly Father. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Now, before I go, I want to leave you with this verse. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1. Thank you.